Welcome to Westport Road Baptist Church. We're delighted that you've joined us for today's message. Westport Road Baptist Church is located at the corner of Hurstbourne Lane and Westport Road in Louisville, Kentucky. If you have a Bible, please have it handy and prepare your hearts and minds as we enter God's Word. Hey, did y'all notice anything different this morning? Yeah, you're right. Losing a little weight, aren't I? Yeah, yeah. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. No, we have moved into the Family Life Center, uh, in case you hadn't noticed. And we have the haves and the have-nots. The haves have padded chairs. The have-nots have... No, just, just kidding. Hey, just kind of give you an update on what is going on. Really exciting time here at our church. Uh, in the transition for the next five or six weeks, we're going to be meeting here in the Family Life Center. Next week, they will be all padded chairs, okay? So you don't, you don't have to worry about getting here early or anything. Uh, they, they will be there. They were supposed to have been in Friday, and we got a call Friday and said it's going to be Monday. So uh, that will take place. Over the next five to six weeks, a lot's going to be happening. The parking lot will be completely finished. We have almost 200 new parking spots uh, that will be out there. The, the upper lot will be totally redone, repaved as well. The sanctuary is currently undergoing uh, renovation in there, and all that will be completed in that same amount of time. So we will be meeting in here during that amount, during that period. So I know it's going to be uh, maybe a little bit out of your comfort zone, uh, but, but uh, it's a very, very exciting time. And uh, I wanted to thank everybody, put in all a lot of long hours getting all this set up uh, from the staging to the chairs, the, all the sound equipment and everything. And we had, usually have 10 greeters. This morning we had 28 uh, greeters that were out trying to get you in. Next week we're going to have three golf carts. That uh, six people guard carts that will take you right to the door over here and let you in if you park on the other end of the lot. So we're going to do everything we can to help you out during this transition period. And then right when we get it down real good, we'll go back to the sanctuary and won't have to, won't have to worry about it anymore. But that's kind of a, a, an update on what is going on. It's a very, very exciting time. This morning in the first service, we were like, well, we don't know what to expect. How are people going to react? And everybody was just really, really excited to be in here and to, and to look at it. Hey, take out your Bibles. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're in a sermon series called Daring Faith. Daring Faith. And we've looked at the fact that at some point in your life, you've got to dare to step out and believe in God. Uh, to say, you know, I'm going to take that step of faith and, and try to give myself over to God. Then we talked about uh, daring to grow, that, that after you have accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, there comes a point you say, I want to get closer to God, know more about Him, really enter that personal relationship. Last week we talked about uh, what we need to do then is dare to serve, to give ourselves to God and service through our gifts and our talents that we have. And this morning we're going to be talking about daring to give, daring to give over in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Now let me give you some background on what's going on here because it's really important. The church in Jerusalem practiced communal living. In other words, everybody got together and, uh, and, and pulled all their money and resources and, and basically lived like a, in a commune. Uh, there, there was a lot of poor people that had joined the church. They had a drought and then a severe famine, and the church in Jerusalem was really hurting. 
And so Paul had started all these non-Jewish Gentile churches throughout Asia Minor. And he thought, what a good way of connecting them to the original church in Jerusalem if they would take an offering for the church there. And he's writing here to the church at Corinth, a fairly wealthy church, uh, has a lot going on for it. Uh, but the church in Corinth hadn't followed through with uh, what they had said they were going to do for this offering. And so he uses the churches of Macedonia as an example to them. Now, Macedonia, that's in northern Greece. Corinth is down in southern Greece. Uh, southern Greece was where all the big cities were and, and all the money. Uh, the, the north was where uh, things were a lot more difficult. They were severely persecuted. The churches were small. Uh, they were very poor. And so Paul uses the churches in Macedonia as an example uh, for the church in Corinth. So let's look over 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And the first thing we see is this. Before you give anything, your time, your talent, your resources, before you give anything, you must first give yourself to God. Before you give anything, you must first give yourself to God. Look down to verse 1. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They even pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. So he says, okay, look at the churches of Macedonia. Talking about churches like Philippi, Berea. He said, these churches are undergoing severe persecution. They're extremely poor, he said. And yet they begged us to do more. Now, how many people here have ever called up to the church and begged to do more? Chip, I, I know you want me to be a greeter, but can I stay two hours after church and just do some other stuff? Please, let, let me do even more. Uh, how many people have begged to do even more? But we're told they pleaded to do even more. What would put a poor, persecuted church in the mindset of pleading to do even more? Look at verse 5. Look at verse 5. And they didn't do as we expected. They gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. Now, normally when it comes to giving, the first thing that we think about is financial. We think of giving from a financial viewpoint. Uh, how, much, how much am I going to give? What's that do to my bottom line? How much do I have left over? What's in my pocketbook when the plate gets passed? That's what we're thinking. We're thinking financially. Paul turns this around, though, and says our first thought should have nothing to do with finances. Our first thought should be spiritual and have to do with God. And so he says, they did what we didn't expect. Why didn't Paul expect it? Because that's not how people behave. People first think financially when it comes to giving. But instead of thinking financially, the first thing they did was they gave themselves to the Lord. It became a spiritual matter instead of a financial matter. And that changed everything. And so they now begin to look at things differently. What is God's will? What is God saying to me? How can I be a part of God's kingdom, God's work, God's will? And so suddenly it transformed their way of thinking from a financial aspect then to a spiritual one. And they begin to look at things completely differently. What's God's will? What does God want for me? 
Whenever you try to do anything for God, the first thing you need to do is give yourself to God. Before you say, well, I, you know, I, I'm going to start reading my Bible or I'm going to uh, come to church. Or I'm going to get involved in Sunday school. Whatever you want to do, I'm going to start serving. I'm going to go on a mission trip. The place to start is in your relationship with God. All of those things are spiritual things. And so you need to, first of all, seek God, God's presence, God's will, and then that will transform everything. The next thing that we see is that giving is a gift of God's grace. Giving is a gift of God's grace. So look over now, if you keep going in our scripture to verse 7, to verse 7. He said, so we urged Titus since uh, he had earlier, uh, verse 6, I'm sorry. So we urged Titus since he had earlier made a beginning to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. And just as you excel in everything, in faith, speech, knowledge, complete earnestness, in love for us, see that you also excel in the grace of giving. In both verse 6 and in verse 7, Paul talks about giving as a grace. Now, that's the last thing, again, that we think of. We don't think of giving as being grace. Grace is an unmerited, undeserved gift that you've been given. So how is giving a grace? We see Jesus dying on the cross. That was an undeserved gift that he gave us. How's giving a grace? Well, what he is saying here is the churches in Macedonia were willingly giving of what they had to help others. It wasn't deserved. The church in Jerusalem hadn't done anything to deserve this. It was a gift of, of their grace from God, giving as Jesus had given to them. And so that changed everything. It became a grace gift. But more than that, it came back to them. It was also God's grace for them because they were now able to be a part of God's kingdom, God's work, and God's will. So not only were they giving themselves first to the Lord, they were now seeing this as a gift of God's grace. Now we're going to go on, but this morning we're actually going to look at seven things that have to do with giving. And I know the first thing you're thinking, seven things? But we'll do it in that same amount of time that we normally do. We've just laid the foundation, though. And the foundation is that it needs to be, first of all, giving ourselves to the Lord as a gift of grace. And now we're going to see some things the churches in Macedonia did that we need to learn from today. And the next is this. In giving, each person is to simply do their part. That's all God wants. That's all God requires. Look down to verse 13. Our desire is not that others might be relieved and you be hard-pressed, but that there would be equality. So the point of this thing isn't for you to do something somebody else isn't doing or for you to do more. The point is for every person to simply do what God has called them to do, for all of us to just do our part. And if everybody just did their part, the church would have no problem at all when it came to giving or finances or service or, or ministries or missions. If everybody just did their part... That's all we would need to do. And yet we hear stats like 20% of the church give 80% of the money and do 80% of the work. And if that's the truth, then you have a handicapped church that can't do everything it was supposed to do. Each person just does their part. You don't worry about the person next to you or on the other side of you. What, where is your relationship with God? Where is your gift of grace? And then you simply do what God has called you to do. You just do your part. And when everybody pulls their part together, then God does amazing things with it. Last Sunday, after the second service, I asked everybody, I said, will you take the, the hymn books and the Bibles and the pew pens and all that out and take them out with you? And so in 10 minutes, the entire sanctuary was empty. 
400 people got up and in 10 minutes took everything out. And the whole sanctuary, we had everything out of it in 10 minutes. What if four people had stayed behind and did all of that themselves? It would have taken probably an hour or more for them to do it. And they would have been tired and grumpy. Okay, I would have been tired and grumpy because I need to eat on a schedule, you know, and, and things like that. But when everybody just pitched in and said, I pick up one Bible, one hymn book and one pen and set it on the table when I walk out in 10 minutes, the entire room was clear. When everybody just does their part, then that's when God does great things through that. The next thing we see, the fourth thing is you get out of it what you put into it. You get out of it what you put into it. Look at chapter 9, chapter 9, verse 6. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. It's an age-old axiom uh, that, that when you put a lot into something, you get a lot more out of it than if you don't. Now, this is an agricultural illustration that Paul has given here. He says, okay, farmer gets seed, plants it in the ground, puts the dirt over it, waters it. And then what's the farmer do? Does he say, oh, great. I've just wasted that seed. I paid good money for that seed, put it in the ground, and now it's gone with dirt on top of it. That's ridiculous. You know, I just wasted all that money. No, that's not what the farmer thinks. The farmer thinks something's going to grow from this seed that's going to produce a whole lot more than I put into the ground. When you, when you just simply uh, uh, give God something, God gets it back. What would happen? Anybody here ever have a garden that failed? Everybody in the room. Well, sometimes it fails because of bad weather or drought or something. Sometimes it fails because you're a crummy gardener. Okay. You know, oh yeah, I forgot to, Dawn went to see her, her family a while back and, uh, and she said, water my flowers. And when she came home, she said, wow, the flowers don't look quite as good. And I said, oh, I knew I was supposed to do something. I was supposed to have watered those flowers, you know, so the flowers didn't quite do as well because I wasn't doing what I was supposed to do. So when you don't put something into it, you're not going to get a lot back in return. Anybody here ever been on a diet and not lose any weight? That's because if you're on a diet, you can't eat the country fried steak with gravy at Cheddar's. Okay, that, that's off your list right there, you know, when you go there. So, you know, you're just going to cheat a little here, you're going to cheat a little there, and then you don't lose any weight. You get out of something what you put into it. I've got a lot of friends that tried to play the piano but never wanted to practice. None of them can play the piano. You know, it just does, it doesn't work that way. And so when you put something into it, you're going to get more back and more out of it. It's a very simple principle. It's the same with God and the church. The more you put into it, the more you give of your time, your energy, your resources, the more God's going to do with it. Number five of the seven things we're going to look at this morning. Number five is one the stewardship committee doesn't like to hear. Okay. And they would have probably had exit this out of my sermon if they could. Give willingly or don't give at all. Give willingly or don't give at all. Look at chapter 9, verse 7. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. God loves a cheerful giver. We're going to take out one sentence and we're going to break it down. And we're going to look at it here for a second. The first thing it says is that each person should give what he's decided in his heart. So, it, it's none of your business. It shouldn't bother you one way or another with the person on this side of you or the other side of you is giving. That's, not, that's between them and God. Each person gives what God has put into their heart. Now, this goes back to that very first thing we talked about, that first they gave themselves to God, because that's where all of this starts. 
What am I giving to God? What is God's will for my life, my talents, my resources? But then you say, okay, this is where my heart is on this matter. The next thing it says is after give your, you know, uh, it's a matter of the heart. The second thing it says is don't give reluctantly or under compulsion. Now I take that seriously. I think that's exactly what Paul meant when he said it. Don't give reluctantly or under compulsion. There's some people in this church who may even be very good givers who still give under some compulsion and reluctantly. You know, the, the check just doesn't come out of their hand when that offering plate comes by. You know, they're, you know, they're, they're trying to get it in there or something. You know, it, it's done reluctantly. You know, uh, it's not something they want to do. That It's hard for them to let go of, of that thing. But it says don't give reluctantly or don't give because you're being pressured into it. It's supposed to be something between you and God for the glory of God's kingdom. And if it's reluctant or under compulsion, then don't give it in that way because it destroys the whole basis of what giving is all about. And that's you and God being in a relationship and you wanting to be involved in God's kingdom and God's will. Give willingly or don't give at all. God loves a cheerful giver. Now, what does that part of it mean? Think of it this way. Your spouse takes you out to a really nice dinner at a fancy restaurant. They buy you flowers. They give you a box of chocolates. And you say, this is really nice. Thank you for doing that. And they say, thank me for doing it. The kids told me you've been grumpy all week and mad at me. And I figured this is the only way I could get on your good side. But you know how much money we spent on this stupid dinner tonight? Now, would you think, oh, my goodness, thank you so much for taking me up. You know, probably not. But what if the person looked at you and said, you know why I did this tonight? I just wanted you to know how much you mean to me, how much I love you. And this can't even compare to a half of what you mean to me every single day. Just want you to know I loved you. You go, oh, isn't that nice? Okay, guys, the bar has been set. That's all I'm saying. You know, when you go out there. Now think about it from God's point of view. For God, this is about a relationship. Give yourself first to God. This is a matter of the heart. And then you say, it hurts me to put that in. It makes me bad. It makes me mad. Uh, You know, I feel like I've just lost something or something like that. And God says, then don't give it. It needs to be cheerful. It needs to be because you want to be a part of my kingdom and what I'm doing and to show your thankfulness and your relationship with me. So if that's not the attitude, then don't give it. You know, often we think we're giving to the church, but we're not. And Dawn pointed this out to me a a while back when during the capital campaign, I talked to a lot of people and, and I went and talked to Dawn and I said, there are people that are making serious sacrifices financially for this capital campaign. And, and it makes me feel bad. And Dawn said, don't feel bad, Chip. They're not giving it to you. And I said, oh, it's a matter between them and God. And that kind of pointed it out to me really clearly that it wasn't about me. It was about them and their relationship with God and what God was leading them to do. Give willingly, don't give it all. Number six, you will gain more than you lose when you give. You will gain more than you lose when you give. Now, here's the thing. We generally look at giving financially, and so we think about what we're losing. How much can I afford to lose by giving it to the church or to God? How much do I have in my pocket that I'm willing to let go of 
when I sit down on Sunday morning and we look at what we're losing. But what our scripture says, instead of looking at what you're losing, look at what you're gaining, and it's something entirely different. Look down at verse 8 of our scripture down in chapter 9. Chapter 9, verse 8. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, you will have all that you need and you will abound in every good work. Several things, again, are said in this verse. The first thing it says is this. Look. If you just do your part, and that's all what all we're called to. You're not called to do somebody else's part or to hurt your family or anything else. You're just called to do your part. If everybody simply does their part, then God's grace is going to abound and you're going to have everything you need. You're not going to be losing and not being able to pay the bills or anything. You'll have what you need. But more than that, God's work is going to be made better because of it. And so you're not going to be losing. You're actually going to be gaining because you're going to be a part of God's work. Keep reading uh, verse 9. As it is written, he has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. So what he's told here is the seed you plant will become a harvest of righteousness for God. And what an unbelievable thing to think that we can be a part of that kind of harvest of righteousness. And that brings us to the last thing uh, that we see, and that is giving will draw you closer to God and others. Giving will draw you closer to God and others. Now, you know, I know some of you probably thought when this sermon started this morning, oh, sure, they take us to the gym and then he preaches on giving. You know, I do I'm not surprised on that. You know, if I'm going to get out of a folding chair, I got to buy one of those padded chairs or something like that. You know, and that was what was going through your mind uh, as you came in here today. And you hear people say things like this. Well, you know, uh, all they do is talk about money at that church. You know, the average, it's not true, by the way. Ministers hate to preach on stewardship. Do y'all remember uh, who I used to always make preach on stewardship when I was here? Matt Houston. I texted him five minutes ago and said, I'm preaching on stewardship. Can you come? And... And he said, well, I'm, you know, he's in Washington State now. He said, if you can give me a flight, I can be there as soon as, soon as I uh, can. Uh, it's, it's not true at all. You know why ministers hate preaching on stewardship and giving? It's not because they're afraid somebody will come in that doesn't know God and get turned off by it. People who come into the church that don't know God or have any relationship with the church, they're interested in what the church has to say about money. I wonder what what, what the church has to say, what the Bible says about that. I wonder what these people believe. You know who it irritates when they talk about money? Church people. That's who it irritates, you know, because they don't want to hear it, you know. Uh, And so that's who it irritates. But giving draws you closer to God, and it draws you closer to others. Look down at verse 12. Really interesting uh, little passage here. This service that you perform not only supplies the needs of God's people. So one thing you're going to be doing is you're supplying the needs of God's people. You're making it where this church can operate, where we have a sound system and pay light bills and, and, and we'd have a renovated sanctuary and a new parking lot. You supply the needs of God's people, we're told. Uh, but it's also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the unsurpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. 
This is basically what, what he's saying here. You just do your part. You just give your share and then look at what God's going to do with it. And it's an indescribable gift. So maybe what you could do was pay for one chair to be in the sanctuary. But what you don't know is that one day somebody's going to sit down in that chair and give their life to Jesus Christ. And you made that possible. And it was an indescribable gift. Maybe you were able to provide one parking spot in the new lot. Right now, we have, we, we're, we're crushed for parking. People literally every week drive through our church lot and leave because they can't all get in here. And, and, and that's frustrating. But what because of what you did? Well, I, I gave enough just to provide one parking spot. But a family pulls in that parking spot and the husband and wife are on the brink of divorce and they walk into this place and they find hope. And it was because you gave and it was an indescribable gift. There are people that are going to be coming in that are hurting and have had losses and they're grieving and they're having the worst things that ever happened in life. And they walk in here hoping something can make a difference. And you're making that possible. Because of what you give, there are missionaries throughout the world in, in, in uh, every country that are out there touching people's lives. And you're a part of all of that. And who knows, maybe one day in heaven, you're going to be standing there and somebody from Indonesia is going to walk up to you and say, thank you for what you did. It made a difference. During vacation Bible school, and Keith McKinley couldn't share this when he was here because of, of, of all the stuff that goes out. Uh, but, but in the sanctuary, in, in the gym, we can do it a little bit different. Uh, during vacation Bible school, the kids took up money for water filters in Indonesia. Those water filters were then sent to Keith for them to buy water filters to help in poor villages uh, in the country there. We sp- sent about $2,500, amazing vacation Bible school offering that we had. They bought those water filters, and this is what they did with them. They took the water filters just from the money we gave, and they went to a place they'd never been able to get into. It wasn't Indonesia. Can't tell you what country it was. It is a closed country to Christianity. And they said, we want to come in with water filters. And they went in with those water filters. They led people to Christ while they were putting them in. And a church was established in a closed country simply because a kid in vacation Bible school threw change into a bucket And that was an indescribable gift that came from that. So you're you're never going to be able to outgive God and what he does. Giving will draw you closer to God and draw you closer to others. Read a story this week in the paper about a Cracker Barrel in North Dakota. How many people have been in a Cracker Barrel in North Dakota? Okay. (laughs) One person, good job, Johnny, has been to a Cracker Barrel in North Dakota. All right. If Alan Funk, the missionary, was here, if there's a Cracker Barrel and he's been in the state, that's where he's been. I read this story about a Cracker Barrel in North Dakota. He goes, four guys walk in at lunchtime. They walk up to the hostess and they say, seat us at the table of the grumpiest, rudest waitress at this Cracker Barrel. And the hostess looked at him and said, we don't have grumpy waitresses at Cracker Barrel. And they said, okay, then seat us at the table of the happiest waitress at this Cracker Barrel. And they said, okay, that would be Abigail. And so they take him to a table, set him down. A few seconds later, uh, this, this bright 18-year-old girl comes walking up with a big smile on her face and starts talking to him. And they said, well, Abigail, tell us about yourself. And she said, well, I'm 18 years old. I'm about to go to Trinity Bible College here in North Carolina. And I'm working to make enough money to make sure I can get into school. 
They said, well, tell us about your life, Abigail. And she said, well, it's been a little bit different. When I was five, my parents were involved in a really tragic auto wreck. They were both severely uh, injured, and uh, I was in a foster home for the next five years or so. My dad was finally able to get out of the hospital, bring us back home. The next three or four years was one of constant abuse, both physical and sexual, from my own father until they finally discovered it, took me out of that, uh, my father's home, put him in prison, and put me in another foster home. And they said, well, that's not generally the story that makes the happiest waitress in Cracker Barrel. Why are you so happy? And she said, because a year ago I found Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And you know what? Because of that, it's changed everything. And I'm going to Trinity Bible College because I want to serve him the rest of my life. When it was over, the men got up and left. She picked up the check and as they left. And what they left her as a tip was $100. That's a good tip. $100 tip uh, on a Cracker Barrel meal. That's a pretty good tip. But then they left a check for $5,000. And it said, this is to pay your tuition that first semester for what you had left. And then there was a second check for $1,000. And said, this is to be used for you for anything that you want to do. Well, Abigail was amazed. She ran out in the parking lot. They were already pulling off. She finally got up to the car. They rode down the window and she said, I don't know what to say. And they said, don't say anything. Just praise the God that's brought you this far. And then they pulled off. You see, you hear that story and those guys got to see immediately the result of what was taking place. But what a lot of people don't understand is that every Sunday, there are amazing things that happen around this campus in Sunday school rooms and hallways and worship services where people's lives are being made better and being made different. And to be a part of that mix and to see what God is doing is unbelievable. Anybody ever been in the prayer room on Sunday morning? Several of you. If you've ever been in the prayer room, every Sunday morning, they, when, the, when it's over, they give me a list of all the prayer needs that, that we took in on Sunday morning. It will literally break your heart. There, there will be 30 or 40 prayer requests we get every week. And the depth of the hurt and the pain of people sitting right next to you, of people you talked to who were laughing and smiling and patting you on the back and said the Cubs are going to the World Series. Is that right? Okay, okay, okay. I still find that hard to believe, but, but people doing that and you don't know their heart's breaking. All around you are people who need the love and the grace of Jesus Christ. I dare you to give and be a part of that, to give your time, to give your talents, to give your resources. I dare you to be a part of what God is doing. Let's have a prayer. Father, thank you for the love that you have for us. Man, Lord, we can't outgive you. You gave it all. And Lord, help us to realize that, that you just call us to do our part. And when we do, amazing things happen. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed today's lesson and that it spoke to you. If you have prayer needs or want more information about us, we invite you to stop by our website, mywrbc.org, and click on Contact. Please use the word podcast in the subject line. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Keyword, MyWRBC. At Westport Road Baptist Church, we love God and love people. Please join us for Sunday morning service at either 9.30 a.m. or 11 a.m. 
We also have Sunday school for all ages during both service times. Thanks again for listening and join us next week for another message from God's Word.